Feel free to yell at that laptop, desktop, smartphone, tablet, whatever you're listening to The Riley and Kimmy Show on. You could be listening on anything because The Riley and Kimmy Show is mobile and global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. Matter of fact, take us to work with you. We'll help the, the day go by just a little bit faster. Or take us home, or take us to work as you're going, or to class, whatever. That'd be the only class we have, by the way, is if you take us to class. So be sure to tell your friends you found a place that offers pop culture escapism every single day. It is a Sunday, June 11th. Going to the nerd and pop culture timeline with our very first question, Kimmy. It was on this date. The television series American Idol debuts. Now, the show featured judges Randy Jackson, Paula Abdul, and whom? Simon Cowell. Yes. Now, what year, within one year, did American Idol make its debut? 1992? No. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, 2002. 2002. I'm going to leave it up to the judges. She did give a number first. Do we accept that number first as the true answer or the secondary number? I'm waiting for the judges. Oh, it looks like the judges say you can have that second number. What was the second number again? 2002. That is correct. That's exactly right. Did you watch that first time mm-hmm. period? You did. Okay. Did you stay for seasons after season or did you give up after like the first season or so? Mm. Kind of petered out after the first season. Okay, moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Steven Spielberg's movie Jurassic Park opened in theaters on this date what year within one? 1994. Kimmy misses it by one. She gets it. It's 1993 that that opened. I saw that with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Kimmy did not like Jurassic Park. I fell asleep. She fell asleep. I, I, well, I think you didn't like it. You feel, and matter of fact, Kimmy, at that time period, looked like the actress in in Jurassic Park. People would come up to me and go, "Hey, you had Laura Dern with you?" Yeah, they did. Moving over to something else that premiered on this date. This movie was released on this date in history. The movie E.T. by Steven Spielberg. What year within one? 1981. Once again, you miss it by that one, but you get it because the one buffer. It was 1982 that that happened. It was on this date, 1509, King Henry VIII married for the first time. How many wives did he have? (laughs) Twelve. It must seem like that to you, but no, it was six wives is how many he had. Mm. That's King Henry VIII. 1742, Benjamin Franklin invents the Franklin stove on this date. It was on his date in 1919. Sir Barton became the first horse to capture the Triple Crown when he won the Belmont Stakes in New York City. It was 1927. Charles Lindbergh was presented the first distinguished flying cross. It was on his date in 1950. Ben Hogan returned to the sport that he was famous for. This was after surviving a near-fatal car accident. Can you tell me what sport he is known for? Who is it? Ben Hogan. The year, 1950. No. Golf. He won the U.S. Open. It was on this date in 1966. This song peaks at number three, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the song. Tell me the recording artist. Gazing from my window. 
streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow I am a rock This was a big hit for this duo. Kimmy, 1966 is the year it hit number three. Most will guess it was a number one hit. It was close. Number three, tell me the name of the recording artist. Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. Can you tell me the name of the song? I Am a Rock. 1972, Hank Aaron tied the National League record for 14 Grand Slam home runs in a career. It was 1977, Kimmy. A song peaks. It hits at number 12 on the pop charts. But it's a song that I guarantee you could not be released probably today. Now, you know, songs today are a little more risque and most can be more risque than like a song from 1977, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think this song could be released today, though. And if it was, I doubt it would hit even in the Pop 100. But perhaps you do know this song. I The year 1977, yes, it played. It was in the, uh, the the Pop 100, and it was definitely played on some dance floors. That is, Ain't Gonna Bop No More with No Fat Woman by Joe Tex. You ever heard that one before, Kimmy? No. Uh, do you think it could be released today, you know, or get much air? play no yeah, okay moving over <laughs> something else happening 1977 let's just stay in the world of 1977 in music because you are our music expert and do not feel bad that you did not know joe tech song okay next one identify the recording artist who had this number one hit today the year 1977 <laughs> The year 1977, that was number one on this date. Tell me the name of the recording artist. Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's right, and I'm your boogeyman. Moving to another song that charted on this date, 1977. It was not number one, obviously, but it was in the top ten. Tell me the name of the recording artist and possibly the song if you can. Here's your clue. We'll teach him what we learned. Oh, yes, just what we learned. We'll dress him up warmly and we'll send him to school. It'll teach him how to fight to be nobody's fool. Oh, 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 what a boy. Oh, what a boy. Oh, what a boy. Jimmy, can you identify the recording artist? Number seven is where that song peaked in 1977. Nope. That's Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold, who would have, you know, Thank You for Being a Friend as a hit. Almost impossible trivia music-wise for you, Kimmy, but you have a sharp ear. See if you can identify this person. Now, the song did not go that high on the 
the Pop 100 charts. It hit number 58, did not break the 40, did not get a lot of airplay because of that. But I think the person has a very uh, unique voice. You will be able to identify who it is. The year is 1977. The song is Pretender. Tell me who the recording artist is. Kimmy's nodding. She knows who it is. Tell me who that is. Jackson Brown. That's right. Peaked at number 58, The Pretender. Do you have that on vinyl? No. You have it on your MP3? No. You just knew his voice, right? Mm -hmm. The year is 1977. This group releases this song. Kimmy, tell me the name of the group and tell me the name of the song. Here's your clue. Kimmy, 1977, who is the recording artist? Is it 10CC? No, it's not. Electric Light Orchestra? It is E-L-O. You got that right. Can you tell me the name of the song? Telephone? I'll accept that. It's Telephone Line. I don't remember if that's the album. One of their albums, you can run backwards and it has all kinds of weird stuff in there. It even says, turn back, turn back. As you, it's running backwards. So on this date, 1979, Chuck Berry pleads guilty to income tax evasion. He is sentenced to four months in the, in, you know, in the, you know, don't pass, go and don't collect Monopoly money. You know, mm. yeah, yeah, that's where they put him. It was on this date, give me the year, Kimmy, the first major league baseball player strike began. It would last for two months. What year? And I will give you a five-year buffer. 1977? Five-year buffer, Kimmy gets it. It was 1981 that that happened. Back to music, Kimmy. 1983, this song peaks at number eight. Tell me the recording group and tell me the name of the song if you can. I walk along the city streets. You used to walk along with me. And every step I take reminds me of just how we used to be. Well, how can I... Gimme, tell me the name of the song. I can't, um, there's always something there to remind me. Gimme, tell me the name of the recording artist. Naked Eyes. That's right, Naked Eyes. That song peaks at number eight. Always something there to remind me. 1983. It was 1983. This song peaks at 12. Now keep in mind, Naked Eyes, always something there to remind me, peaks at eight. This is the same time period. 83, same year, same date. This song peaks at 12. I would guess most people would say it would be the bigger song, but it was not. Tell me. The name of the recording group and the song. The year is 1983. Kimmy, who is that? Journey, faithfully. That's correct. Number 12, Naked wow. Eyes, actually beat it out. I'd have thought that was a number one. Kimmy, we're staying in music, but we're just moving up a few years. It's 1988. This song peaks at number three. Tell me the duo that had this as a hit. Here's your clue. You had, you had, hit 
Kimmy, who is that? Hollow Notes. That's correct. Do you know the song? No. Everything Your Heart Desires peaked at number three on the Hot 100. It was 1990. Olivia Newton-John becomes a United Nations environmental ambassador. It was on his date in 1993. The Ike and Tina Turner film biography, What's Love Got to Do With It, opened. It was on this date in 1994. Almost impossible trivia question for you music-wise, but you have such a good ear. I think you will be able to identify this group just by their sound, even though... I doubt you have heard them record this. Well, they cover something. But you know the group. Let's see if you can actually pick them out just by their sound here. This song peaks number 33 on the Hot 100. Identify who it is. Meet the Flintstones, a single for whom in 1994? The B-52s. Yes, and they changed their name for that. They were the B-C-52s. Oh. Get it? Ha, the, ha. B, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it peaks at number 33. That's Meet the Flintstones. Yes, for the movie The Flintstones, which I don't think Kimmy saw. Did you ever see the John Goodman mm, thing? No. no. Okay, neither do I. It was on his day, 1998. Mitsubishi of America agreed to pay. $34 million to end the largest sexual harassment case filed by the United States government. The federal lawsuit claimed that hundreds of women at the plant in Normal, Illinois, had endured groping and crude jokes from male workers. That was 1998. Moving over to celebrity birthdays, Kimmy. Tell me who this is. You should know because you love animals. He was born and raised and lived in France. Born 1910, died 1997 at the age of 87. He co-developed the Aqualung. He pioneered marine conservation on board the ship Calypso. He made films about sea life. Who is he? Jacques Cousteau. You ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next person, Kimmy. Born on this date, Vince Lombardi. Born 1913, died 1970 at the age of 57. He is best known as the head coach of what? football team it's from your neck of the woods who's that oh boy short attention span radio here here we go again kimmy vince lombardi born 1913 died 1970 at the age of 57 he is best known as the head coach of what professional football team the bears the green bay packers we have we have people screaming at you right now wearing those 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 cheese hats they do wear those in Wisconsin, those cheese hats. They, they do. Mm-hmm. They're calling you a crazy flatlander now. They're going, that flatlander didn't know who that was. I even have a tie that has Lombardi quotes on it. Mm. Moving over to somebody else, you will redeem yourself with this one, Kimmy. Born 1933, died 2016 at the age of 83. He is known for his portrayal of Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1971, and for his four films with Richard Pryor. Can you tell me who it is? He was married to Gilda Radner. I know.
Gene Wilder. Yes, that's right. Give me Gene Wilder, born in the state 1933. Next person born 1937, died 2012 at the age of 75, an American actor who appeared in more than 40 films and television series. He was well known for playing on this TV show, which aired on CBS TV. Originally, it aired 1969 to 1976. Tell me the name of the TV show and then you should be able to tell me who the star is. and the keyboard work on that thing. It's one of my favorite TV themes, especially from the 70s. I will call it from the 70s because from 69 to 1976. That was a medical show, a doctor show. Can you tell me the name of it, Kimmy? No. Medical Center. Did you ever watch that? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, he was the star. He played Dr. Joe Gannon on that. Can you tell me who it is? No. Chad Everett, born on this date, 1937. Died 2012 at the age of 75. Now, he acted in a David Lynch movie. Kimmy, he played a movie producer. Do you know what movie? Mulholland Drive. That's right. In 2001, he played in Mulholland Drive. Next person, Kimmy, tell me how old she is once you identify who it is. Actress, she played Carol, the divorced daughter of Maude Finley on the sitcom Maude. She starred in The Fog, Creep Show, Swamp Thing, Escape from New York. And during the 1990s, she became known for providing the voice of Catwoman on Batman the Animated Series. Who is she? Adrian Barbo. Yes. How old is she today with five-year buffer? 68. 72. So doing the math, you do get that. Bonus points here, Kimmy. She was married to somebody from 1979 to 1984, a movie director. Who was it? Um, John Carpenter. That's correct. Do you think that's why she was in Escape from New York and Fog? And... Yeah, it could be. I don't think so. Have you ever seen her in the Fog? No. Ooh, we're going to have to watch that. She plays a radio station owner in the Fog. you never seen the Fog again. How about Swamp Thing? You ever seen that one? I think I've seen part of it, and I Which one, the didn't fog? watch the whole The thing. Fog or Swamp the Thing? The Fog. How about Escape from New York? Mm-hmm. You, you saw her in that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving over to somebody else celebrating a birthday, it's Frank Beard. He is 68. He is the drummer in ZZ Top. Next person, Kimmy. She was part of a, well, a group, trio, actually. She broke off on her own for a while. Here is the hit she had, a number 11 hit from 1979. Let's see if you can identify who she is. Nineteen seventy nine, that was a number eleven pop hit. It's called Heaven Must Have Sent You. Do you know who that is, Kimmy? No. Now she was part of a trio, a couple of their hits, one of them being Fire, the other one being Jump. 
can you tell me who the or what the group was she was in? Pointer Sisters? That's right. It's Bonnie Pointer, who is 67 today. Next person, actor best known for his portrayal of Jack Abbott on The Young and Restless. He took over the role in 1989. Still there. Tell me who the actor is. I don't know. Peter Bergman. You can't remember Peter Bergman? Mm-hmm. He is 64 today. I worked with somebody who looked exactly like him. Uh, he was a consultant who would fly in, and it was always weird going out to lunches and dinners with him. He actually had people coming up asking for his autograph. Hmm. I was like, wow, this is freaky. And the person who was with me, the other person, had no clue what was going on because he never seen the soap opera, and hadn't, he didn't know what was going on. I knew... When I first met him, I'm like, wow, looks like Jack Abbott. Moving over to somebody else having a birthday today. Identify who it is, Kimmy. He was the star of this TV show. And he was listed in the 2011 Guinness Book of World Records as the most watched leading man on television and was one of the highest paid actors in a TV drama, earning $409 thousand dollars per episode on this show here's your audio clue identify the tv show and then you'll be able to tell me who the star is having a birthday Can you identify the TV show? House. That's correct. He played Dr. Gregory House. Who is it? Hugh Laurie. That's right. Hugh Laurie having a birthday today. How old is Hugh Laurie today, Kimmy? Um, 60? Well, within five, you get that. He is 58. Just for fun here, what year did House come on the air? 2000? 2004. Ran from 2004 to 2012. Have you seen the entire series? Bulk I've of seen it. quite a bit of it. Okay. Next person is a doctor who's having a birthday. Dr. Oz having a birthday. He is 57. See if you can identify who this is. Very small clue. We don't really need much here. Tell me how old he is, too. Actor. I don't know what his status is. He said he retired at one time. I don't know if he's back. He's also an artist, but you don't know him for that. You know him for being the star in the 2007 film Transformers. He played Sam Witwicky opposite Megan Fox. They were, you know, a thing. And then they thought he was going to be the new Indiana Jones. They tried to do that, and that didn't go over very well. Tell me the name of this actor. Sheila Booth. (laughs) That's close enough. That's close enough. How old is he today, Kimmy, within five? 30. 31. So you you got that one. Moving over to, wait a minute, is he retired or not, you know? I think he is. All right. He's done, right? All right. Moving over to another section. I see dead people. Notable deaths. Identify who this is, Kimmy, and give me the year he passed within five years. He died at the age of 72. His birth name is Marion Morrison. His nickname is Duke. John Wayne. That's right. And he was among the top box office draws for three decades. What year did he pass within five? 1979. You got it exactly right, Kimmy. 2003, David Brinkley died at the age of 82, an American newscaster for NBC and ABC. His career lasted from 1943 to 1997. He wrote several books. One of them I recommend, 
1988 bestseller called Washington Goes to War. It's about how World War II actually changed, transformed Washington, D.C. 2014, Ruby Dee dies at the age of 91, an American actress best known for originating the role of Ruth Younger in the stage and film versions of A Raisin in the Sun from 1961. Her other notable films include The Jackie Robinson Story in 1950 and Do the Right Thing in 1989. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job. That dinner is coming your way or lunch from anywhere in Central Florida. Any ideas what you want? No, I'm thinking. Okay. Well, while you're thinking, we will honor something from trivia with the golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's O'Reilly and Kimmy show. Going back in time to the golden age of radio, we're going to honor... John Wayne, who passed away on this date in 1979 at the age of 72. Yes, John Wayne did work in the golden age of radio, and he was a big film star while he did this. Chance to hear a fantastic example of the golden age of radio? Here is Pittsburgh, starring John Wayne with Marlena Dietrich from 1943. This is safe for all ages. Little ears can hear this. Here's John Wayne on the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Screen Guild play tonight, Pittsburgh, the starring players... This is Marlena Dietrich. This is Randolph Scott. And this is John Wayne. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Universal Studios' current hit picture, Pittsburgh, the dramatic story of an industrial epic and the men and women who created it. With the original cast from the picture, it is the story of Josie Winters, played by Marlena Dietrich, of Pittsburgh Markham, played by John Wayne, and Cash Evans, played by Randolph Scott. <laughs> Lounging in the back seat of an expensive limousine, beautiful and fashionably dressed, Josie Winters looked as out of place in Coal Town as Hitler would in heaven. But Pittsburgh Markham and Cash Evans didn't even see this miracle. As they ran out to her car, jumped into the front seat, and drove it away. What's that noise, Cash? Oh, there's a dame in the back seat hammering on the glass petition. Well, open the glass. Okay, Pittsburgh. What's the idea? Relax, this lady. You are Countess, you can take it back yourself as soon as we're through with it. You'll be in plenty of trouble when my friend finds his car gone. Well, we'll worry about that when we see your friend. There's a fire underground at the mine. Underground fire? Yeah, now shut up and don't annoy the driver. That was the way I met Pittsburgh Markham and Cash Evans. At the time, they were just a couple of coal diggers, and I was just a hunky miner's daughter running around with a small-time price fight manager. I was trying to escape from the stench and grime of the collieries. 
and my plans for the future definitely did not include any coal miners. But Pittsburgh took me in his arms that night, and when the prize fight manager left town the next day, even though we were engaged, I did not go with him. I stayed to be near Pitt. Pitt, Cash, and I were the three musketeers of Coal Town, bound together by love and friendship and a desire to get away from the mines and get ahead. It was a trio without jealousy. I think I'll tag along when you go to see Josie tonight, Pitt. Why not? Josie and I ain't got no secrets from you. Yeah? Cash. Ah. I got an idea that's going to take us out of these mines one of these days. Now, what are you going to do? Slug the boss and get us fired? I hadn't thought of that, but it might be a good idea. What was that, Pitt? Oh, some fool using too much powder. Trying to get out an extra ton so he can feed his family. Well, somebody ought to warn him. He might start a slide or a big... There's no hurry. We saw the cave and hit him, Cash. He never had a chance. Poor devil. Well, we still got to dig him out. Come on, give us a hand. In the sheer joy of loving and laughing together, Pitt and I almost forgot our ambition. But Johnny Granger's death was a tragic reminder. And I was determined to prod Pitt and Cash into getting out of the mines. So when they arrived at my place that night, I had my bag packed and pretended I was leaving. Hey, what's the idea of the suitcase, Josie? I'm going so far away, I'll never even hear about coal or mines or miners. Now, Josie, you're just upset about Johnny's accident. He's still Cash. There's dirt and smoke and sweat and hunger and strife. That's all I've known from the day I was born. And I'm getting out of it. Oh, stop talking foolishness, Josie. You couldn't stay away from me if you wanted to. Couldn't I? And besides, I'm always going to be slinging a peck. No. No? What else can you do? I don't know yet, but I know there ain't a thing in the world I can't do once I set my mind to it. And I'll prove it to you. Well, you better start proving it in a hurry. Because I won't be around after tomorrow. Oh, now, take it easy, Josie. We're all in this together. Pittsburgh can't go out and set the world on fire tonight. He could start tonight. But he won't. Won't I? I'm through digging coal as of right now. Give me that phone. Now, Pitt, don't do nothing that'll be sorry for. Shut up. Operator, give me the superintendent at number seven. Now, listen to me, Pitt. Don't worry, Cash. He's just bluffing. Hello, Kelly. This is Pittsburgh Markham. I'm quitting, Kelly. What? No, I'm not drunk. I just called to say that me and Cash Evans won't be working for you anymore. What? Quit for yourself, Pitt. I like my job. Will you shut up? Who is that, Kelly? Uh, so are you. Okay, wise guy. Now, what are we going to do? Okay, wise guy. Now, what are we going to do? Well, go ahead, Mr. Rockefeller. Explain yourself. Tomorrow morning, you and I are going over to the Prentice Steel Company. And I'm going to talk to Prentice. The president and Mr. Prentice, you've been buying coal, paying freight, and coking at your plant. If we coke it right at the mines, we can save enough in freight to sell it to you $3 a ton cheaper than you're getting it now. If that's so, I'll be glad to sign a contract with you, providing you can bring me positive proof that you have the coal, equipment, and ability to deliver. Roughly, that means you'll need backing of around a quarter of a million dollars. A quarter of a million dollars? That shouldn't bother a man with your big ideas, Markham. Okay. 
I'll be back at five, Mr. Prentice. Be ready to sign that contract. Now, Pitt, just where do you think we're going to lay our hands on a quarter of a million dollars? No, we don't need to. I got the answer right here on this blotter. I picked it up in Prentice's office. I don't get it. All I have to do is copy Prentice's signature off the blotter, put it on a contract which says we got a deal to deliver Coke to Prentice Steel, and we'll get the credit we need. Well, no bank will give it to us without checking with Prentice. Who said anything about a bank? We're going out to the mine and get our ex-boss, old man Wilson himself, to back us. Yeah, back us right into jail. Think so? Well, tag along and see how it's done. Josie, we put it over. You did what, Pitt? Put what over? The idea. We're in business. Markham and Evans. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad for you boys. Very glad. Glad for us. How about yourself? Say, haven't you unpacked that bag yet? Yeah, put your things away, Josie. We're going to celebrate. No, thanks. I've decided to get on my way. Are you crazy? You're as much a partner in this as Cash and me. No, Pitt. You're on your way up now, and the hunky's daughter wouldn't fit in. Then we'll throw the whole thing away. You've kicked us into trying to get ahead, and if you don't stay as a partner, the whole thing's dead. That's the way it'll be, Josie. And if you go away and we drop this, Josie, what becomes of all the miners we were going to give jobs to? Why are they going to get free hospitalization you wanted to give them? And schools and... You really mean that, Pitt? Listen, Josie, I'd give you up before I'd go back on those promises. <laughs> the next two years I sat at home and waited while Pittsburgh and Cash worked night and day and the firm of Markham and Evans grew by leaps and bounds. Then success began to make a change in Pittsburgh. We were no longer the three musketeers of Coal Town. Cash and I were left to ourselves while Pittsburgh found other companions, companions more valuable to an ambitious man. Then Pittsburgh kept his promise to me. He gave me up before he gave up his promises of the things he would do for the coal miners. While Cash and I waited for him to come back to us, he married Shannon Prentice, the daughter of the steel magnate. Then he came to my apartment on his wedding night. Pitt. Meet the new vice president of Prentice Steel. What are you thinking of, Pitt? Something here tonight. Oh, that society gang will never miss me. Why didn't you come to my wedding, Josie? Are you... Now, look, Josie, you've got the wrong slant. Marriage with that mob is a business like everything else. I played my angles and got a vice presidency. But that's got nothing to do with you and me. You and me? Certainly. We're going to see a lot of each other, same as always. Take your hands off me, Pitt. Well, listen, you've got to see this the right way. For the first time, I do see it the right way. I've been around a long time, Pitt. In my stupid mind, there was never anybody else but you. You could have had me forever. But now I'm glad it's worked out the way it has. You've picked the kind of life you want. So go back to it. And to her. And stay there. You still don't understand. Get out. Pittsburgh didn't come near me again after that night. And my only contact with him was through cash. And the reports cash brought were not pleasant to hear. Even though Cash and I tried to make excuses, in his lust for power, Pittsburgh had forgotten his ideals. And he was making enemies faster than he was making money. 
Then, when the miners insisted that he keep his promises to them, Cash went to talk with them and made them a new promise for the firm. I promised these men if we are making money, they'd get their share, and that they could inspect our books at the end of the quarter. Listen, Cash, I don't care what you promised. I don't show my books to anybody. You're going to do this, and I gave them my word. I gave them in my word, and you're going to pick me up. Hospitalization you promised them. The schools you're going to build. Schools? To make them as smart as me? I wonder if you're smart or just plain lucky. You're heading for trouble, Pitt. Big trouble, if you don't change your line of thinking. My thinking's done all right for all of us. Let it alone. And as for trouble, I can handle any trouble anybody can throw at me. Don't be too sure. Anyway, I'm warning you, Pitt. My partnership in this outfit gives me some right to say what's done. So I'm keeping my promise to Joe and the miners. Understand? <sighs> all right, you win. If it means so much to you, I'll put the books on display in the public library. Shake? Shake. I'm a rat, Cash, and that's why I gotta have you around. Sort of keep me in line. You ought to get a sharper knife. You could slice it a little thinner. I love you, Cash. So help me, I love you. Say, uh, why don't you bring Josie to the party tonight? Maybe I will. It might amuse her to see you in that mausoleum you live in, entirely surrounded by enemies. Oh, lay off. You two set the date, Jeff? Don't worry, I'll be around bragging to you as soon as we do. And remember what I said about the trouble you're heading for, Pitt. It's going to catch up with you one of these days. And so ends Act One of Pittsburgh, starring Marlena Dietrich, Randolph Scott, and John Wayne. Now the curtain rises on the second act of Pittsburgh, starring Marlena Dietrich as Josie Winters, Randolph Scott as Cash Evans, and John Wayne as Pittsburgh Markham. The trouble that Cash had warned Pittsburgh against wasn't long in coming but it struck from an unexpected quarter. Cash and I were discussing a new drug that has been discovered in the company's experimental laboratory, planning the great good it would do when Pittsburgh joined us. Did I hear you say the laboratory had discovered something big? Yes, Pittsburgh, it's wonderful. Yeah? What is it? They found a sulfur compound. If it works as they think it will, we'll be saving lives, doing away with a lot of suffering all over the world. Pitt, it looks as though they're on the trail of a medical cure-all. Well, I hope it's a short trail. In my book, every time the clock ticks, it ought to ring like a cash register. Well, this may not ring any cash register, Pitt, Pitt, but it will save thousands of lives. Well, we'd better keep our researching on paints and varnishes, then. Let somebody else worry about this sulfur, whatchamacallit. But, Pitt, this is something that'll benefit all humanity. Humanity? You used to be a sharp guy, Cash, before you got into the four-syllable stuff. Stick to the things that'll benefit Markham and Evans. You don't mean that you're going to drop your medical research after all these years of work, Medicine's not our racket, Josie. We're in the coal business, and that's that. Just a second. If that's your verdict, Josie and I are taking over this research and checking out. And checking out. Give him a chance to think it over, Cash. His time's too valuable, and so is ours. Well, now we take that up. They're going to give us a carte blanche, Pip. You know what that means. Well, I don't have to know French to sell you a dirty deal. No? You just get a little mixed up on where the dirt is. You can buy my interest in Markham and Evans for its market value. Well, that's the deal. 
And you can start packing. Pittsburgh, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. I doubt it, Josie. I've made bigger mistakes. And you were one of them. But I still do all right by myself. the beginning of Pittsburgh's troubles. Without cash to steady him and make excuses for him, the troubles began to build to disaster. First, the miners called for their promised accounting. Mr. Joel Malnick and some other gentlemen are here to see you, Mr. Markham. Oh, yeah. Uh, send them in. Mr. Markham will see you. Hello, Joe. What's up? It's the end of the quarter, Pittsburgh. We hadn't heard from you, so we decided to drop around. Yeah, we've come to have a look, see at your books. A look at my books? I don't know what you're talking about, Johnny. What'd I tell you, Joe? Wait a minute, Pittsburgh. We had a promise we could see your books at the end of this quarter. Did I promise you that? No, but Cash did, and he's your partner. You mean he was my partner, Joe? Nobody looks at my books unless I say so, and I'm saying no. Suppose we make you let us see him. Take it easy, Johnny. It's only fair to tell you, Pittsburgh, the boys aren't going to like this. Yeah? Well, that gang of moles down there don't know what they like. Now, how's about getting out of here and digging some coal? Okay, Pitt. We get back to the mine, Johnny. I'm going to see Cash. You know, Cash, I still don't get Pitts coming out to the mine when he knows how the boys hate him. You can't figure that guy. Where's Pittsburgh, Kelly? He's down the shaft. I warned him not to go down, but he's the boss. Johnny, you'll murder him. Hurry, Cash. Here, take this elevator. Don't get into the automatic. Why? What's the matter with the automatic? Won't it run? Yeah, but it isn't safe and we don't dare use it. Come on. What is this? What do you guys think you're doing? I'll tell you what it is, big shot. You played us for suckers with a promise you never figured to keep. Letting us break our backs, digging for more dough when the cards were stacked against us. Well, they're still stacked. Only the other way. Look around, big shot. See what the boys think of you. When we get through with you, you won't ever be jipping nobody else. Hey, wait a minute, Johnny. You keep out of this cash. You think this guy has double-crossed you? It's nothing to what he's done to me. If there's anything left when I get through, you can have it. But I get him first. Trying to be a hero, okay? Get your hands up, kid. Trying to give yourself a build-up in front of all these... Good work, Cash. What are you backing away from? <laughs> hey, what was that? Hey, hey. Sounded like the automatic elevator crashed to the bottom. Please, that was a moment for Yeah, it sounded like Josie. It was Josie. There's still no change in her condition, Mr. Evans. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. I could only tell you how I feel. You're a little late waking up to that, aren't you, Pittsburgh? Get out of here. I don't want to ever to see you again. Oh, you've got to listen. All your life, there's only been one person, you. And if you went back to the beginning, you couldn't change. What do you mean, couldn't? There isn't a thing in the world I can't do. That's what you used to tell Josie, but she got wise. Oh, I've been wrong, Cash, but I'm going to change. I... She told me once that you were no good for anybody. Hm. Funny how it worked out. And someday all the mistakes you've made are going to pile up and fall on you like a ton of slag. Mr. Evans, and she's asking for you. Thank you, nurse. Cash, will you tell Josie something for me? What? Well, what is it? Tell her if she'll just recover, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to make everything up to her. Stop looking like old man gloom. I'm going to be all right. Sure you are. 
You know, you look pretty awful, Cash. You must have had quite a fight. <laughs> you ought to see the other guy. I don't want to see the other guy. Any other guy. I... I believe it now, Josie. And I'm going to stay right here on your corner until you get well. Then we can't lose, can we, Cash? Say, uh... Pittsburgh wanted me to tell you that... Well, that was the beginning of a new life for Cash and me. Just as it was the beginning of the end for Pittsburgh. He had changed too late, and his new softness betrayed him. Before long, he could count his assets with a minus sign and his friends on one finger. Then one day, laughter went out of the world, and Pittsburgh's troubles became less than nothing. There was a war to be won for the people, and by the people. Then there was but only one question for every American to ask himself. What can I do? Once again at the bottom of the ladder, Pittsburgh got a job in a defense plant. A defense plant owned by cash. He signed up for the job as Charles Ellis. But the clerk who took his application recognized him and passed the information on to me. I kept track of him, and each week he managed to work himself up the ladder another rung. He had changed completely. Once again, he was the hard-working, hard-hitting Pittsburgh, the one that Cash and I had loved. And he got the opportunity he had earned before very long. Cash had called a meeting of production executives. We know what the figures on our quarter, gentlemen. This list calls for an all-out effort. Well, I've read the list very carefully, Mr. Evans. And I say you've committed us to too great a quota. We are committed to a war, Burns. From now on, it's guns, planes, and tanks. I've said we can do it. Yes, but... Uh... Hold on, Burns. All we've been getting out of you for months has been ifs, ands, and buts. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Evans. I'm not trying to be unduly pessimistic. I'll admit I'm not a war expert. I'm only your production manager. You mean you were my production manager? Very well, sir. If that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Gentlemen, I know it's going to be tough, but the production race is on and we're in it. Jones, can you get your men to roll up their sleeves an extra notch? I don't think they'll let us down, Mr. Evans. Good, now let's get going. Who's going to take Burns' place, Cash? I don't know, Josie. Do you think any of the men who just left are big enough? No. Neither do I. But I know a man who is big enough. A man who's on your payroll this very minute. He started on the labor gang and saved you one day out of seven. When he moved up the assembly lines, he knocked an hour out of every ten. With a simple idea on spot welding, he gave you an extra 500 man-hours a month. Well, who is he? Why haven't I heard of him? His name's Charles Ellis. Yes, Mr. Evans? Send me Charles Ellis immediately. You'd better run along, Josie. Apologize to me for the guest. I'm not going to budge from this office till you go with me. First thing I know, they'll be sending you home seat first. Mr. Charles Ellis is here, Mr. Evans. Well, send him in. Mr. Ellis, <laughs> you've been recommended to me very highly by... Pittsburgh, what are you doing here? Don't ask me. You sent for me. I sent for Charles Ellis. Oh. So you're the one the boy I've been hearing so much about. I thought I told you once that I didn't want to able to see you again. You sent for me. Okay, so I sent for you, and now I'm asking you to leave. Fine. But remember, don't call me off a job again unless you want me. I'm particular how I waste my time. If I ever call you off a job again, Wait a minute, be... Cash. Joseph, this is none of your business. Oh, yes, it is. I'm a partner in this firm. And besides, isn't this war part of my business? Isn't it part of the business of everyone? I'm ashamed of you. Oh, Both Josie, you. you got it. Don't interrupt me. I helped start you two on the road that led you into this very room. You've said so yourselves, both of you. And now it's an emergency. You need each other. The company needs you. Your country needs you. 
What are you going to do about it? I... I need a production manager, Pitt. Okay, you've got one. Yes, Mr. Evans? This isn't Mr. Evans. This is Mr. Ellis. I want you to put an order through at once, notifying all department heads that there will be a meeting in Mr. Evans' office in exactly one hour. I'll get it, Cash. Hello? Who? Mr. Evans said you'd get your equipment Thursday? You'll get everything Wednesday, Mr. Johnson. My partner made a mistake. Partner? You heard me. Now that I'm back, brother, I'm back to stay. So ends the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players presentation of the current Universal Motion Picture, Pittsburgh. Our thanks to you, John Wayne, Randy Scott, and Marlena Dietrich, for your excellent performances. If I may speak for Mr. Scott and Mr. Wayne, I would like to express our thanks for being able to appear for the Screen Guild Players. You see, the Motion Picture Relief Fund, which receives the benefits from these programs, is very important to all of us. May I tell our listeners also that Barbara Stanwyck is here with us tonight, and she is coming to the microphone in just a minute. And now, here is Barbara Stanwyck. You know that your government is now engaged in raising the greatest war loan in the world's history. $13 billion. This is more than a loan to your country in a time of crisis. This is a $13 billion insurance policy for complete and uncompromising victory upon which you and I must pay the premium. This is insurance that our fathers and brothers and sons in service will have the best of care and equipment. It is insurance that the cause of freedom will be carried forward with the backing of every man, woman, and child in America. It is an endowment fund for your children and your children's children that they may live in a world free from fear and want. This is a $13 billion policy to underwrite the invasion of Europe and the overthrow of tyranny all over the world. You and yours are the beneficiary. The medical examination is simple. Just listen to your own heart. Thank you. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.